Good morning, church. My name's Scott. I used to work here. Uh, good to be back with you. I still work here. Just been gone a couple weeks, took a couple weeks with my family. It's really good to be back. Today we start a new series called Encounters with Christ, uh, where we will be over the next, I guess, seven or eight weeks looking at different encounters, people's stories out of mostly the book of Luke, where people encountered Christ and their lives were changed. And there's, a, there's an old mantra at Bethany that transformation is always response to revelation. I think there's a difference between just being open to, to revelation. God, you know, if you, if you happen to break through, that'd be fine. Or in the gospel stories, there's a lot of places where they're highlighted when people are seeking transformation, seeking revelation. And that's the, the, the challenge of the series and the opportunity. For some of us, we've heard some of these stories before, but Christ is calling us as church, men, women, young and old, to encounter him again in new and profound ways, that we would be seeking our own encounter with Christ as we're reading over the summer different people's encounters with Christ. This is uh, our series, Encounter with Christ, week one. Today our title is called The Natural Rhythm of Relationship. I'll be preaching on Luke 4, the end of Luke 4, starting at verse 38 through the end. We're going to be looking at what happens at sunset, what happens at sunrise, looking at the natural rhythm of relationship, work and rest being two sides of one coin in life in Christ. Let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your scriptures and the way in which every time we encounter you in the scriptures, God, you're, you're showing us a new character, uh, a new piece of your heart, a new element that we may have forgotten about. Lord, give us eyes to see you. Give us a heart to receive you. Give us souls that can respond to you. Again, for some of us in the room, we we need a real touch from you in new and profound ways. Others, Lord, we just need to be reminded of what we already know, that you're a God who loves us and sees us. Lord Jesus, may we encounter you this morning here. We're going to thank you and expectantly believe that you are present here. In your name we pray, amen. Encounters with Christ, week one, the natural rhythm of relationship at sunset at sunrise. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's interesting to me that uh, for cities our size, Seattle actually is number two per capita in number of church buildings per population. So in cities about this size, Seattle in the whole country, number two, number of church buildings we have, cities our size. That's interesting to me. There's different places I've driven through in the south where it's like, man, there's so many churches here. But Seattle was built by a bunch of people that wanted to bring the gospel here. And the gospel kept expanding. And still, I meet people all the time, they're, they're planting churches in Seattle, in godless Seattle. So number two for number of church buildings for cities our size. At the same time, right now, we're at the bottom number two for attendance in those buildings. You look around, you're like, yeah, it's July. It's Seattle, right? But no, year-round, actually, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a real difference. Number two in number of buildings we have, bottom number two in people in those buildings. There's a gap, okay? There's a gap. Now, you can easily just kind of, yeah, you're, I'm preaching to the choir, you're here this morning, Gunner. You're like, hey man, lay off. I'm here. Like I could be out wakeboard. You know, you're here. But I'm not preaching the choir this morning because there's a problem. There's a gap. And we can easily say like, oh, well, that's just, you know, godless Seattle. You know, yeah, empty buildings. I get it. We see them all over the place. No, but it's, there's something that's, that, that the church needs to kind of address in this as well. Because for many people in Seattle, they would say, oh yeah, we get it. That probably works for you, but it doesn't work for me. We're all hungering for transformation. We're all seeking revelation, but for some, they're finding it in being in nature, 
in CrossFit and going out to eat and just trying to have community with friends. But for many people in Seattle, they're not sure that the church is still powerful. Are lives still being changed here? Are people coming hungry and being fed by the Spirit of God and being transformed? And I will challenge you, church, that when we live out our calling as a church on fire and seeing people be healed from places they need delivered, and when we're resting in that newfound power of God, people will want to come to church. They will. Like, I'm hungry for that kind of power. We need to wake up. There's number two in buildings, bottom two in attendance, but it's more than attendance. This morning, Jesus is asking us to encounter this remembering of how powerful that he really is. That Jesus is in the business of changing lives, encountering lives. And that's what we'll get in Luke 4. If you brought your Bible, you can open up. We'll be looking at verse 38 through the end. That Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. That Jesus then heals all evening long. And right when he's kind of on fire with the healing, I guess this is the work. Lives change, sick people healed, you know, people that are enslaved, set free, demons coming out, it's all good. And then Jesus says, stop. Because Jesus knows there's a rhythm of relationship between work and rest. And church, there's, there's a challenging word for you here today if you're willing to be open to revelation because for some of you in the room, God wants to remind you this morning, you gotta get to work. Like there's places of, of grace and mercy that he wants to put into your life so that you can be a person of grace and mercy in the lives of others. And there's a whole lot of others of you that Jesus just wants to remind you this morning, it's okay to rest. You've been working and striving and struggling. I wanna just be with you. And as a follower of Jesus, it's this rhythm that we'll press into this morning of activity for God's big, powerful story, kingdom of God, and, and of resting in his presence, of sitting back and letting God work in us. It's this rhythm that we can easily forget about, but he's reminding us this morning, this is what real relationship looks like, this rhythm of work and rest at sunset, at sunrise. Let's begin here, the first point of your outline. Let's talk about what's happening in the text in the first four verses, starting in 38, what's happening at sunset, that lives are healed by Christ. And like I said at the front end, if we've got these empty church buildings in Seattle, because for a lot of Seattle, they want to see, man, we want to see more power. We want to see lives change. That when we open up the gospel stories and, and we see what Jesus was doing, he, he was not leaving empty buildings. He was changing lives. Look at verse 38. Look what happens first with Peter's mother-in-law and then this whole kind of sunset narrative. That Jesus left the synagogue. He's already had a busy, busy day. And he went to the home of Simon future Peter, but here he's still called Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. She was on the edge of death, and they asked Jesus to help her. So Jesus bent over Simon's mother-in-law. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them, or in the ancient language, she began to make them dinner. Now here's where we can kind of insert a joke, because there's, you know, if you're married, there's a, you know, the mother-in-law. It's like, man, if my mother-in-law was sick, I'm not sure I'd heal it. You know, that's like, or, you know, I heard one guy speak one time. He's like, Jesus had a choice, make his own dinner or heal the mother-in-law. Like, that was an easy choice. It's, it's actually, the, it's not the point. That Jesus shows up after this busy day and his disciples believe he's powerful. They don't say, hey Jesus, yeah, you know, we know you're busy and we don't think you really do much in our, in our day and age. But if you can just show up and kind of, you know, like pray good thoughts over her. Simon obviously loves his mother-in-law and, and, and she's sick. 
And, and he knows what would cure her, a, a touch in the power of Jesus Christ. So he's like, hey, Jesus, can you help? And he's, yes. And if we're trying to find our way back to a more powerful belief in Jesus Christ, we need to believe that Jesus changes lives still. And I know that's complicated because for every one of us in the room that's a believer, we've prayed for God to heal a sickness. We've asked God to deliver someone who's stuck in the throngs of depression. We've sought for Jesus to interact, and, and we don't always get the answer that we're seeking. Oftentimes we don't. But in a story that I've told often, like in the story of the junction, the people that prayed for it being delivered from a strip club to something else prayed for years in vain. It was changed to a church office and a coffee shop doing ministry on Aurora called One Cup Coffee. And when the woman came up, when I kind of shared that story with Shoreline Pastors when we first moved into there, almost four years ago now, the woman walked away shaking her head. She said, we prayed for that building that was a strip club to change and we wondered what was taking God so long. Because our sense of timing and God's sense of timing are often very different. We are called to believe that God is still powerful. And when God is not moving or, or stepping into a situation in the exact same way that you would want, you're called to believe that he's still working. So Jesus changes her life. He heals her. She pops up and she makes dinner for them. And I think there's just a sub-point here that her service back to Jesus is one of gratitude. So often we, we, we're out serving, we're volunteering in a classroom, we're baking muffins for the ministry on Aurora, we're, we're trying to do good things. And, and sometimes we've lost our motivation. But Peter's mother-in-law steps up to serve because she's just responding to being changed by Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, church, is that changed people care about changing people. When you've had your heart changed by Jesus, you care that other people would experience that too. Changed people care about changing people. And you're all in this story right now. Because if you're in the room and you're nursing a wound and you're like, the last thing I'm worried about is someone else. Jesus, could you change me? Like, I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm worried, I'm struggling. Like, you name the ailment. Like, Jesus wants to change people. He does. And sometimes we need to get in touch with what we're asking God to do. You know, Jesus, can we just name our brokenness, name our longing? Jesus says, yeah, that's where I want to start. I want to change you. And for the others in the room that are like, you know, I'm not nursing a big wound right now. I'm in a place of gratitude. The sun is shining. Can we just be happy? We can. And know that the natural response when, when you've been changed by Jesus is that from a posture of gratitude, helping love other people. We're all part of the story. And sometimes we forget that grumpy neighbor needs the love of Christ. That, that son or father or, or roommate or spouse that is hard to live with right now. Like, we don't know what it looks like to be the kingdom of God. But if we have been changed by him, we need to care about being an instrument of grace in people's lives. We need to care about changing other people. First Peter says this. Peter gets this more than anyone else. It's his mother-in-law changed. Later in his gospel, 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, love, like you want to heal people? Just offer hospitality. Open your home. Make a meal. Each of you, says Peter, should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Whatever you've been given, it should be used to pour out and be a blessing in others as stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do one who speaks the words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We don't serve for ourselves. There are no merit badges in the life of faith. I was never a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout, but like I get it. Like, you, you know, like all these, it's a phenomenal program and you're earning badges and you're earning your way up and you're rising in ranks and you get the badges. Like sometimes in the Christian life, we start doing stuff because we're looking for the badges. And Jesus says, it's really more just about my glory, the glory and the power forever and ever if you've been changed by jesus may your life be lived in response in small but practical ways how can you be a blessing last year we got a call from dshs bethany and others like hey some kids need school supplies we're like this wasn't on our master plan this wasn't part of our strategic process we don't have goals around this but there's a need in our community and people that have a heart for foster kids and this church is growing in a ministry to foster families so what can we do we collected school supplies and it was a small mountain of stuff that was brought in dshs reached out to our church said thank you like this isn't just a ethereal like be good people like kids didn't have supplies and your church stepped in and it was a blessing we don't know what god will do with that it doesn't matter it's not about us it's not about us no merit badges but they sure said thank you and they said kids are recipients we announced just today oh you know we're going to do that again bring school supplies my daughter who's eight leans over and she says can we do that too because in the life of faith, when you're tangibly and practically trying to love other people, it takes the focus off ourselves. Change people care about changing people. That was my story. At 17, I went from totally lost and totally, you know, outside of God's story to being saved by grace. What did I want to do when I walked into Capitol High School that next fall? I want to tell everybody that Jesus was real because it was real in me. And I went from trying to fill the void in my heart with anything else to just saying, you know, it's not perfect now, but Jesus is real. And when you're serving out of that posture, out of a posture of gratitude, then Jesus says, do not forget. That's when lives are changed. That's when the church regains its powerful voice. That'll bring people back into the church because they see this Jesus stuff really works. Lives are being changed. Look at here at the second part of what's happening in this sunset narrative about this rhythm of work and rest. This is the work of Jesus. Like lives are literally changed. But look what happens. This is super interesting. And this will be my challenge to you, church, honestly. Like quick subtext. I could open right now Joel. I'll be like, can I read to you some Joel? I'll be like, awesome. I've not read Joel in a while. Is that even a book in the Bible? I think so. It is. Like, we do that. Sometimes I bring something you've not thought about, and people are like, I love that. I've not heard that before. And then I get up, and I'm like, can I tell you a Jesus story? And people are like, rah, 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 you know, like, whatever. Like, I've heard this before. But the fact of the matter is that the Gospels, every time you encounter Scripture, you're seeing it as a changed person. Jesus, would you, would you let me be open to your revelation? So I'd never seen this before. Look at verse 40 of Luke 4. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who has various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You're the Son of God. But he rebuked them, the demons, would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. What is going on there? It's pretty important. That these sick people, it doesn't say they got changed because they just limped their way to God. 
They just crawled their way to Jesus. They were just so tired of being sick. They were so tired of being lonely. They were so tired. They just finally kind of broke down and made their hearts open to revelation of Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. How did they get to Jesus? What does your Bible say? They got there because somebody brought them. Because people in their lives cared enough to bring them to Jesus. People brought sick people to Jesus. Now, certainly there were broken legs, maybe, and sores, and they're like, man, you're sick. Like, Jesus is in town. Like, just come with me, please. Yeah, you know, like, that's an easy one. But I guarantee you there was other illnesses that nobody could see unless they confided in one another. So how do sick people get brought to the feet of Jesus? Two things are happening. First of all, the people that are sick let their guard down. And honestly, I think maybe one of the biggest sicknesses our church could suffer from is this fear of vulnerability. If you're never sick, if you're never struggling, if you're always over a muffin, how are you? I'm fine. Like, can we just cut that out and say, man, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm worried, I'm struggling, I'm hungry, I'm, you know, marriage has been hard, or singleness is hard right now, or name, name what it is that you're, that you're wrestling with. And when others know the second part of the story, sick people were brought. The Greek word there for brought is this word ago, which means to literally carry somebody somewhere else. It's the same word, though, in Greek, because they have fewer words, and they use them in more uses, that same word, ago, brought, is a word means to celebrate. And so if, you're, if you know somebody in your life is, is struggling with something, when you bring them to Jesus, you're in the act of celebrating Christ. Hey, I'm not a healer myself, but I know who is. And I can't fix you right now. And I'm not going to send you just a card saying, like, Jesus loves you. Like, I want to be Jesus in your life. Can I carry you to Christ right now in my prayers? Can I carry you to Christ right now in my hospitality? Can I carry you to Christ right now in my, in my just presence? I'm not trying to fix you, but just love you because you're in a, a rough season. Everyone's included in this. Sick people were brought to Christ. And let's not, let's stop being a church that's always got it together. Like name what it is that you're wrestling with, with people that you're walking with. We have this wonderful group of deacons in this church at Bethany North. And so when people are sick, when they're struggling, when, they're, when they're, they've lost jobs, like, we have a process. You can reach out to the church, and then the staff gets in touch with deacons, and immediately you'll be covered in prayer. And we've got a group of people in this church that are deacons, that long to love people practically, because sometimes we get sick, and sometimes we struggle. And the deacons of the church are the kind of the hands and feet of the practical love of Christ. It just happened this week. It happens all the time. Just this week, Tuesday, there's a young man. There were some issues going on with his health. His new wife reached out, reached out to the staff. The staff reached out to the deacons. They're like, we're already on it. We're already praying for them. In fact, we've got a deacon on the way down. Gary and Jan are going to go visit them. That's what being the church looks like. It's not always being healthy or always being sick. But it's when we struggle being vulnerable with one another and allowing each other to carry ourselves to Christ in prayer, in practical ways, stepping out, doing the work of faith. And the reminder is, as we're celebrating the work of Christ, it's not about us. But Paul said this in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. He was, he was chewing them out in 1 Corinthians 3. He's like, why do you keep dividing? It's not about you. He says, I planted the gospel of Jesus Christ. This other evangelist, Apollos, he watered, but it's God who makes things grow. So neither who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. That's how lives are healed by Christ. 
But then Paul says to the church in Corinth, we are co-workers in God's service. So it's his work we're called to enter into. We are called to either be changed ourselves and after being changed ourselves, help carry people we love, people that in our neighborhoods, people we work with, to the feet of Christ. Nobody in the Gospels, if you notice, nobody leaves the feet of Jesus unchanged. When people were face-to-face with Jesus and face-to-face with their needs, they were always, always changed. So get in touch with where your need is. And get in touch with what you want God to do for you, in you, and name that to other people. This work of the kingdom of God, of rediscovering the power of God, is is saying, God, I want to be changed to be more like you. And when that happens, like, lives were changed. Verse 41, demons came out, many people saying, you're the son of God, and he rebuked them. That's interesting for me, because it's not enough to just know. Like, even the demons know he's the son of God. It's not enough to just know that God is powerful. And we need to be seeking revelation, seeking to have a new encounter with Jesus Christ. James says this, you believe there's one God. Good, even the demons believe that and they shudder. And so if you want to be changed, you're going to need more than just information about who God is. You need revelation in your soul. Lord Jesus, I want to be changed. I want, I want you to change me. It's more, more than just information that Jesus longs to heal you. That's the power of the kingdom of God. Because earlier in Luke 4, Jesus quoted Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for enslaved, sight for the blind, to be setting folks free. That's what the work is, that we would be free to pursue Christ. And I don't know what ails you this morning. I don't know what's kind of hanging on to you, but know that Jesus wants you free for his glory. It's a powerful God that we worship, and at times we forget just how powerful he is. But if you're in a place this morning where you need a new encounter with Christ, please know he longs to change you. And it's more than just information. Oh yeah, I know that God is powerful. Like he wants you to encounter him again. And if you're here this morning like, you know, I think I'm good. Like me and Jesus, we're good. Like pray for a name. Pray for one name this week that God would put into your life that you might be a blessing to. Somebody who needs a touch of grace. Somebody needs a reminder of God's power. Somebody who you could speak Jesus to, who you could pray for, that you could be a tangible, practical blessing. Because the school supplies are great, but lives might not change with pencils and paper alone. Jesus wants to use you to be a blessing in the work of this kingdom of God. This is what's happening at sunset. Jesus is just delivering people, changing, changing, changing. This is the church being the church, remembering that God is still powerful. It's happening at sunset. So maybe you need a reminder this morning, it's sunset in some of your lives. God wants to change you. But then notice what's happening in this text as we turn to the second point, what happens at sunrise. It's this kind of beautiful rhythm even in the text. At sunset, lives are being changed. At daybreak, look at verse 42, 43, 44 of Luke 4. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns, because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so Jesus has been at you know sunset narrative of like healing, changing, healing, and he's not even done yet. But when daybreak changes, Jesus knows it's okay to rest. It's okay to stop. 
In the Mark telling of the same passage, Peter comes to him and he's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. Because at times we're going to have to disappoint people if we're going to rest and take our foot off the gas. And Jesus is here in, in Luke telling of it, he's like, Jesus just goes to a solitary place alone to be with God. It happens at daybreak. And oftentimes when I meet with people, they're like, man, I, we're just naming the, the, the power we want God to do. But Jesus reminds us through this text is what Christ does to us is what he'll do through us. That we want influence, we want change, we want fuller bank accounts, our new relationships. But Jesus is like, I just want to start with your heart. What I'll do to you is then what I can do through you. And if you don't spend time with me, you're going to miss me. If you don't spend time with me, says Jesus, you're going to miss me. It's so easy to become a sunset person because, man, there's lives that need to be changed. There's stuff that needs to be done. Like, let's work, work, work for the kingdom of God. But what Jesus models is this rhythm of real relationship, touching and healing at sunset and at daybreak, saying, it's enough. I'm just going to go be with God. I'm going to just go be with him. That's interesting because there's a, the text says daybreak. And so I was like, is that sunrise or is that dawn? Like, what is that? And so I did some digging this week. And the fact of the matter is that the text specifically calls out not sunrise when the sun breaks the eastern horizon, but daybreak is the same word as dawn, or what we use the word twilight. So twilight, not vampires, like twilight with light in the sky, is the same word in the evening between, between dusk and sundown and in the morning between dawn and sunrise. In the summer, it's, it's like almost 30 minutes, sometimes even more, between dawn and sunrise. And what the text says isn't sunrise. Jesus wasn't waiting around and like going to make sure everybody's like all good and check in with everyone. Like as soon as there's light in the sky, he's going out to be with God. Because he's been serving and he's been serving and he's been working and he's been doing this and he's probably exhausted. And he knows the only place to sustain for the journey ahead is to go and be with God himself. At sunrise, Jesus, I'm sorry, at daybreak, at dawn, Jesus goes to be with God. And I love that call out of the distinction because I'm a fisherman. And as a fisherman, oh man, you can sleep in if you want, but if you're fishing with me, we're not going to wait. Because anyone that knows fishing, the fishing you know, without a doubt, because for salmon specifically, they don't sleep so much at night, but they just kind of rest in the dark. But that first hour of the day is the best hour of the day because the fish are hungry. And when they're hungry, then you get out in the dark. Like we wake when we're fishing, you're fishing with me. I'm sorry, but we're doing it. Like we're getting up at 3.30 in the morning. I'll have the coffee ready. It will be pitch black We'll make a snack, but you're going to, like, if you're with me, we're going early because we're trying to get out when the fish are biting, when they're hungry. And so we head out when it's still almost dark, but it's dawn on the eastern sky. There's just enough light on the water for us to head out. Where are we going? We're putting lines down. We're trying to catch fish when they're hungry. What are you hungry for? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Like, we so often... We, we'll show up at church. We're not necessarily still hungry. But Jesus says, if you're hungry for something, if you're, if you're hungry to meet with me, if you're hungry for more meaning in your life, if you're hungry for more purpose, get up and be with me. Come on now and be with me. If you're not with him, you're not with him. And I'm not saying he's going to withhold blessing for you, but try to do real relationship without actually being together. 
I've tried. I'll go through the motions. I'll drive the carpool. I'll, I'll do the stuff. I'll make the meal even. I'm serving. I'm a sunset person. Look at me. But when the people closest to me don't have my presence and attention, when I'm not actually hungry for deeper relationship, it's, I'm missing it. Do you see it? Like Jesus models here, like, yeah, go out and do work and believe that God is powerful and pray and advocate and feed and, yeah, do it. But if you're not present with me, says Jesus, you're missing me and I long to be with you. I long to be with you. So we can constantly press back on this amnesia as Christians that God doesn't need anything from us, but he longs to spend time with us because we forget and we get so busy at times. And Jesus says, I'm not mad at you. I just, I just miss you. Will you come at dawn and be with me? And I tell you, church, like, that sounds great, but you'll need habits to actually, like, I should be able to ask you, so what are you doing at dawn to be with Jesus? What does it look like for you? Well, for me, in my life, because we have young kids, I have to get up early. I have to make coffee, and I'm reading a piece of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I'm writing some verses out so I don't think, and I can't have other computers open, and I just, you know, and the fact of the matter is, sometimes it doesn't feel like fireworks, it's not that words aren't popping off the page and intimacy with my Lord, goosebumps. Or sometimes it's just like, it's like Tuesday, you know? And it's like nothing special. It's like going on a date night. Some of you have been on like, you're dating or you're married. Like, you go on date night and some of them are like, amazing. And then sometimes you're like, that was a waste of money, you know? Or sometimes you haven't had much intimacy in your marriage, so you go on a date night and you just like, argue because you can finally look at each other like, this was worse than date night. I just paid to have an argument, Right? But if you don't have dates, if you don't find ways to connect emotionally, you're just going through the motions. <sighs> a couple times a year, Jesus asked me to teach this sermon just for myself. So thank you for group therapy here. You guys can all, I mean, because we get really busy. And this plagues me with my earthly relationships, and it plagues me with my heavenly one. And the Lord Jesus is asking for me to be reminded that he just wants to be with me over and over and over again. And he wanted me to remind you too. Where are you at this morning? Are you a sunset person? Like, I need some healing. I need people. I need to be active in my faith. My faith just feels like, yeah, no wonder these churches are empty because my faith feels really empty too. Are you a sunrise person? Like, I'm just tired. And I just need to create new habits of showing up with Jesus. I just need to show up and show up. And when you show up, the Lord Jesus will show up. Yeah, some date nights don't feel great, but you know what? Others are phenomenal. Like that was like a couple weeks vacation was me just remembering husband, dad, that's number one. And I've got to be present to it. I've got to because I miss it all the time. We got back and, you know, back into the swing of things and overnight retreats and work and kids' schedule, whatever, and... Uh, my wife is a country girl from Spokane. She's been asking to go to a country concert for almost 20 years. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, Jim, never taken her to a country concert. But on Friday, yeah, that's sad, right? That's like missing out a chance to just bless something she's asked for. But on Friday night, we went to Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, rode the monorail and walked in and saw a husband and wife who have been married for 20 years singing. And it was really great. Because here's the thing. Intimacy must be cultivated. It must. 
And it won't always feel fancy. And especially if you've been negating your relationship with God and others for a while, when you show up again, it'll take some work to kind of be present again. But it's about keep showing up at sunrise. What will be your habits? We... Richard told us this story. He and Jim Zorn have become good buddies because Richard's kind of a big deal. And Jim Zorn, if you're younger than 30, used to be a big deal in this town. He was the star quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. He was a big deal, even though in those years we weren't any good. He went on to be the head coach of Washington Redskins, and he's still kind of a big deal. He mentors young up-and-coming quarterbacks, kids coming out of high school and college that will be future millionaires, future feature quarterbacks like directing like teams up and down to championships and Jim is their coach now mentoring them and the quarterback I mean that's a that's a special position all eyes are on you so when you succeed praise glory all-star when you fail man everyone knows in the stadium when you made a mistake and so Richard was hanging with Jim. They went mountain biking or something. He's like, Jim, what's your one piece of advice for these young quarterbacks? Like, what's one little kernel that we can bring back to the church? Looking for some little, like, mantra, like, you know, some glory and achievement. Like, we can put on a t-shirt or something. And Jim's like, oh, simple. I've got one for you. Be medium. Richard's like, pardon? He said, yeah, be medium. Or just like, ah, that wasn't the t-shirt I was thinking of. Like, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's simple because I'm mentoring these young quarterbacks to a life of greatness, but it's not forged in the high of a touchdown because when they're getting high off every touchdown or feeling like the king, then the first interception they throw, they're, they're in the shame storm. I tell these guys, just go out and show up and work hard and be medium and trust the results and keep present. Stay in the game. Stay in the game. Be medium. Show up and keep seeking God. Like I had an encounter with God, you know, many years ago, or it's been a while. Jesus said, I wanted to remind you this morning, church, be medium and get out and be with me. Whatever your pursuit will look like on a hike, in your Bible, in a journal, over friends with coffee, like use this summer to feed on intimacy with me. And that's when we, we come to church where we're like, man, I, I want to be, be hungry for that kind of connection with God. That's a sunset type faith where God is doing powerful things and a sunrise reminder that it's presence in my heart that will be the influence that I can be an influence in the lives of others at sunset and at sunrise. So I, wanna, I just want to remind you, church, and I want to ask you just to, to really be able to name what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want him to do for you this summer? What do you want him to be in your life? For some of you, if you need healing, then, then Jesus is reminding you this morning, I want you to be healed. For some of you, like, man, I, I just, I'm tired this morning. May you be a daybreak person to seek him and find new modes of connection in the summer ahead. Find a habit of more intimacy with your God and believe that he is powerful to set people free in your life including yourself, sunset and sunrise, the rhythm of work and rest for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the reminder from your scriptures that you're real and active, that you want to fill our empty church buildings in Seattle, that you want to fill our empty lives, you want to fill our neighborhoods, fill our marriages, fill our roommates, that you long to just change us, and that when we show up to church, we should show up hungry, 
Lord God, we pray for people in this room to have a powerful experience with you, a healing, a touch of your powerful sunset message that you would be changing them. Lord God, give us a name, a person, a relationship that you know that we might be Christ too. That we know that these people that we love are really struggling. Give us the courage to reach out and be working on their behalf. But for some in the room, it's sunset. So give us eyes to see and energy to serve. And we're just, we've been sitting on the sidelines for a while. Give us a passion to see your lives changed in the city. And for others, Lord God, we pray they would take a deep, deep breath. That they would see the sun breaking over the eastern sky. That it's dawn. That all the work that they've done in the past year, all the striving, it's, they can just set it down for a while. The Lord God, you long to meet with them. You long to be with them. Not for anything that they do, for just who they are. Make us a church, Lord, hungry for encountering you. Give us habits and practical ways that we're showing up to just be medium with you, God day by day by day in your scriptures and your prayers seeking you in walk seeking you in friendship may you be all powerful and almighty in life in our lives in our rest in our work for your glory we love you jesus in your name we pray amen